Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're continuing our series our discussions with the authors and contributors to caring for families caught in domestic abuse, a guide towards protection, refuge, and hope. And that book is out currently. You can find it at new growth press or anywhere you buy your books and you're going to want to get your hands on this one. Uh, It is just a privilege has been a privilege for me to serve as the editor and to work with such a really amazing team of contributors who are experts and who love the Lord, and we have two of them on the show today. We're going to welcome back uh, Beth Broom and Greg Wilson uh, to the PeaceWorks podcast. Uh, folks, welcome once again. Glad to be here. Thanks, Chris. Good to be here. Awesome. Well, we have two of my favorite trauma-informed counselors on the planet. So, of course, today we're going to talk a little bit about domestic abuse and trauma, and I'd like to just throw that out there as a general concept for just a second, because I do think when we think of trauma, even, even though it's a prominent word in our world now, I think a lot of us, our mind still goes to things like um, uh, soldiers, car accidents, traumatic events that are experienced by people. And we don't think as much about complex trauma or um, relational trauma. I wonder if you guys could just help us understand a little bit about how domestic abuse, and obviously it's not uniform, but generally speaking, how domestic abuse affects um, the victims as they're experiencing coercive control. Okay, Greg's nodding at me. I guess that means he's, <laughs> he wants me to go first. Uh, well, I will say this. It is it, it is hugely effective. I don't think I've ever worked with a survivor of abuse who didn't experience traumatization. It's right. just because it's it's so severe and there's a there's a wound created at a deep deep level to the point that you can't come out of something like that unscathed it's not it's not something whereas you know you hear stories of people who were in car accidents and for whatever reason they had a resilience that allowed them mm-hmm. to not really be affected in a long-term way by that thing we even you know you might read stories of like 9-11 people that experienced 9-11 and some people were traumatized and some were not right. but with abuse i mean i just i personally have never and of course i i haven't seen all the cases but i've i've personally never seen a case where someone who experienced domestic abuse did not have traumatization at some level. It's, it's so prominent and it's, it shows up in the after effects. Mm -hmm. And one, one way that I think is helpful to describe it is that there is a sense of reliving or continuing to be in it, even after you're out of it, because mentally, emotionally, bodily, spiritually, the after effects are still intruding upon your life as if they are still happening. And what an awful, what an awful way to live. What a terrible thing to have to continue through. Even after you've gotten free from it, there still can be so many after effects. Yeah, it's interesting that you can encounter folks who have experienced a traumatic event, but they may not be traumatized. Right. As opposed to individuals that, um, that we're talking about, that it's really a series of events or a building upon um, Yeah in experience on experience on experience that leaves someone uh, 
traumatized, for lack of a better word, and then susceptible to all of those temptations or triggers. Greg, what do you have to add to that? You've, you've done a lot of work in this area as well. Is that what you're seeing in your practice as well? Yes, absolutely. Uh, just to piggyback on what both of you have already said. So, you know, we're talking about the dynamic that is typically referred to as complex trauma, um, where um, often the traumas, there are a lot of them over a long period of time. And some of them might even be characterized as what what we would call little t traumas or like, you know, in isolation, any one of the traumatic events might not have even, you know, made a been a blip on the radar screen, so to speak, but it's, it's the combination of all of them over a long period of time that creates the effect of one huge T trauma. Um, and that's the dynamic that Beth is talking about. Like it's hard to um, uh, uh, contemplate a person being in a, a an abusive relationship over a long period of time and not having some level of trauma. Like I I'm with, I'm with Beth. I just, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen that. And I would be shocked um, if, if I ever did. And then the other piece of it, that and this is the reason I nodded to Beth is because I knew she was going to go there and that's the appropriate place to go first. But then the other thing that you and I have noticed in our work with perpetrators, Chris, is that often the perpetrator of the abuse has also experienced trauma. Um, and that's why coming to this abuse conversation through a trauma-informed lens is so important. I say both of you guys have heard me say it and have said the same thing yourselves in uh, teaching and writing. Um, if you don't, if you don't have a lens for trauma, you will completely miss abuse yeah. um, because often that's the first, that's how it shows up um, initially. Like that's how other people are going to even know to like ask about it is, you know, some of the things that um, I, I know, Beth, because I follow you on social media, like you've you've even been talking uh, on the Christian Trauma Healing Network page about all of these um, effects of trauma, the intrusions, and the you know all those all those things, and it's like um, like you see those, you begin to see those, and that sometimes leads the helper, the the caregiver, the pastor, um, the concerned friend to ask questions about him hey, noticing these things that seems maybe a little bit out of character for you or um you know can can we talk about things that are going on but then again when when you're sitting with a perpetrator as chris and i have many times um you will actually see many of the same things going on now again you know the language that we use is this is a contributor, it's not the cause, right? So we are not blaming a person's abuse of someone else on the abuse that they've suffered as a child. But what we are saying is you've got to pay attention to it. It's a contributing factor. And if that previous abuse is not addressed, this person will continue most likely to abuse because uh, they are doing it out of in part. I mean, obviously there's a huge, just it's sin. And, and, and let me say this, it is important to say there are plenty of people who have been abused 
who have not abused others, right? right? And right. that's that's the key. Um, but uh, for the person who has been wounded, hurt, abused, abandoned um, in their past, they will continue to force that on other people until they address it. Yeah, I think it's an interesting point that gets lost sometimes in our discussions because I'm going to throw out one thing. I, I do think that some of us in, in our tribe are, are leery of the labels. And so I might hear trauma informed and go, well, I, you know, I don't want to ascribe to that because that's a worldly concept. But what you're talking about really is very similar to what Beth and I discussed in our last episode on this ministry of presence, which is being aware of the hurt around us. So, so Beth, I wonder if you could unpack for us a little bit more about how is one trauma informed from a biblical perspective and, and maybe just help us clarify that it's not a contradictory reality. That's really a gospel reality. I love in the book, Chris, in your chapter, you start with, one of the things you start with is talking about 1 Thessalonians 5.14 and just this idea of how do we, how should we be showing up with people? And I love, love, love that you, you highlight the thing that I always highlight, which is the end of that verse that says, be patient with them all. This idea that our, our patience level, both with ourselves in how we assess the situation and also with the person who's presenting in front of us. Patience is huge. It's so important. And we can't do that if we're in a hurry to get to the next thing. We're not able to really be present with someone. So I would say that a gospel-centered way, when we think about, um, I think all the way back to my my some of my first biblical counseling training that talked about that that scripture, that passage is a really good, pretty good template for how do we know what kind of counsel we're going to give. Right. And so we're not, we're not going to admonish the one who's grieving that's right. that's not the first line right that's not what we're doing we we want to understand what's happening in front of us so then we know what kind of counsel to give that's a very biblical concept so being trauma-informed i would say is a is a part of that whole right this idea that when you're showing up in front of me there there are always things i cannot see right. because i'm not the holy spirit i am limited i am dependent on the lord to speak into me and to give me wisdom I can't do that if I'm in a hurry. Also, your how you share with me, the things you share, the kinds of emotions that come out. If I'm really quick to slap a label on those things, I really could be jumping ahead of or even in contrary to what the Holy Spirit is actually saying and doing. And I need to be careful. I need to be careful to to take my time and to give give the the Lord space to be the, the primary voice rather than me trying to hurry up and figure out, I don't want to say hurry up because sometimes it's not so much the hurry, but just the instinct, right? Yep. To say, oh, here's where I see sin or here's the thing that's happening or here's what we need to do next. And that that is a way of doing ministry. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually is not trauma-informed because right. when we're trauma-informed, we're paying attention to the fact that there's a whole mess of stuff behind that person that we cannot see. And we need to understand that so that we can walk in humility to be able to be not so quick, not so quick to speak. Right. That's yeah. a biblical concept too. Right. Yeah, I love we, it. we don't, we don't want to, we're, we're not saying at all that people, everybody that is sinning and um, that is suffering is um, doing that just because of, you know, uh, their, the suffering that they've experienced right. uh, in their past. But what we are saying is 
And from a biblical perspective, we're just acknowledging when we think about trauma-informed that just like everybody is a sinner, everybody is also a sufferer. And to be able to address the suffering, both in an abusive relationship, so you're talking about the suffering that is currently being inflicted by the perpetrator onto the victim, but you're also talking about addressing lots of other forms of suffering there, the the previous suffering that the uh, victim often uh, has that's not even connected to the person that they're that they're being abused with abused by currently but they still have other uh, potential trauma in their background and then the trauma of the uh, perpetrator as well so just recognize I mean uh, to me trauma informed from a biblical perspective basically just means that we recognize that there's suffering in the world and suffering has effects yeah yeah facts I, I would say as the non-clinician, uh, the one who doesn't use the clinical language as much as, as you guys do, this is not a new concept for us in ministry. The, we, yeah, we're using the word trauma-informed as a, um, a way in which to describe a model of ministry I think we've been prescribing for a long time, which is to understand that people are simultaneously sinners and sufferers. And even our, our friend uh, Steve Byers in his uh, little book, um, putting your past in its place. I, I like the, the bucket concepts where he lines out that there's, there's our guilty past and then there's innocent, our innocent past. There's things that we have choices that we have made that we need to handle well. Um, and there's things that have happened to us that we need to handle well, but we can also handle them poorly. And that's really in perpetrator work. Um, I don't know, Greg, maybe 90% of what we do is reprioritizing those buckets. And in a trauma-informed perspective, you're saying, I think, yes, we want to recognize and have compassion for the childhood sexual assault, for instance, that you experienced. And we want you to get the help and the care that you need for that. But in this point in time, our relationship is about the trauma that you inflicted, the cruelty that you participated in, and the wickedness that you perpetrated against your family. And so we want to be so compassionate here and, and do a proper referral or proper care. But at the same time, it doesn't assuage us of the guilt of our own actions. And I actually think being trauma-informed, correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, is just that willingness to see how past hurt invites us into present sin, but it doesn't excuse it. I don't know. Again, the non-clinician, Beth, help me out. How am I doing? No, that's, that's, that's wonderful. I think I, I love the language of, so I talk a lot about safety, mm-hmm. that being trauma informed means we're trying to create a space of safety for someone. And I had somebody push back one time and I was super grateful for the feedback because that word can mean some different things. And when I say safety, I don't mean I'm putting you in a bubble. Right. We're only going to talk about stuff that makes you feel good. It actually means the opposite. It's like, if you feel, if you feel sense that I am for you and we've built a rapport, then I can go to hard places with you. It's, it's the difference. I mean, it's not a bubble, it's football pads. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's like you need a, you need a, a sense of, you need some guards on you, some safety so that we can enter into this battle and you know that you've got protections in place. And that's the kind of safety that I'm talking about. And that's part of what it means to be trauma-informed as well, which I think is really difficult. I just wanna say in a church-based ministry setting, it's hard to develop that, especially when there's dangerous things happening right now. Just the space that I get to have with somebody, which you know, a lot of my clients are 
they're they're working through trauma from their history. Sometimes it's recent history, but it's not necessarily current. I do have some that are in current currently traumatic situations, but most of them are on the back end of it and they're trying to heal. When you've got somebody who's in the middle of it, it's difficult to say, well, let's slow down and let's build some good relationship with each other. And let's make, it's hard to do, right? And you're kind of, as a pastor or as a ministry leader, in a little bit of ways, you're relying on the fact that you are a trusted leader in the church, but without necessarily being really known yeah. by the victim or the perpetrator. Yeah. So that's just a, I'm just calling that what it is. That's just a challenge to, when you're in, when there is an urgency to, to create physical safety in the home, safety for the yeah. children, things like that. That's a challenge. It really is. And I, I love the concept of even preparing our counselees or our clients or our per- parishioners safely for the hard things, if I can say it that way. One of the things that I, I use an old pro wrestling statement, which is I hit hard in safe places. Mm. Like I'm going to lay it in, but it's not really going to hurt you. It's going to hurt the right ways. And I think that's biblical, to be honest. I think it's Galatians 6 type of ministry, uh, confrontational ministry that says, if a brother or sister is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore such a one in all gentleness. But it doesn't remove consequences because the passage goes on to say that a man will reap what he sows. So that, that to me is the work that Greg, you and I are engaged in, but a trauma-informed approach, I think, would remind us that our primary role is not punitive. It's not to bring harm to a person, but it's actually to bring health and healing. And part of that is through confrontation, repentance, and change. Yeah. One of you used the, the word compassion a minute ago, and I thought that really is kind of the heart of trauma-informed care, right, is that is compassion that sees that again there's been suffering here and even if even if the person that you're sitting with is currently the person who's inflicting suffering we're still going to approach them from a compassionate perspective that says we see you um and we likewise want to be a safe place so that we can hit hard in those uh safe spaces as you as you just said uh chris um, and then obviously with, with victim care, it's the same, it's the same kind of thing. It's like, we want this to be a safe place so that we can go into the hard spaces and do the hard work that we need to do to, um, to recover from yeah. the trauma that is currently being inflict- inflicted. All of my years of coaching sports and even participating in sports, I was a basketball player. I coached basketball for many years. Uh, sometimes the boys would moan when I would run practice. Uh, but I, I don't know how else to help you as a coach if I don't push you. Like it, the, the thing about practice is it's meant to be hard so that the games can be enjoyed. If you don't do the hard work before the game, then the game becomes much more difficult than it needs to be. So some of the greatest acts of kindness uh, involve some of the most difficult things and some of the hardest lessons, but I'd much rather learn those lessons from somebody who loves me, cares for me, or is called to care for me, like the church, in an environment that's safe rather than learn them later. And the the thing, the little pithy statement, friends, that I used to say to my guys all the time was, it's better to choose humility today than be humiliated tomorrow, because it's coming, right? This is not sustainable. According to Psalm 1, it's the way of destruction. So let's choose humility now to avoid humiliation tomorrow. Well, friends, I want to thank you guys for being part of the PeaceWorks podcast. You guys are the best. Be sure to check out uh, Christian Trauma Healing Network. Uh, It's going to be worth your time. 
uh, you'll find stuff uh, from Beth there. And Greg, I believe you're on the board, correct? Correct. Oh, my goodness. We can't get away from Christian That's Connor right. Healy Network. It's everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, I want to thank you for being part of the PeaceWorks podcast. Be sure to check out our new book, Caring for Families Caught in Domestic Abuse. You can find that at New Growth Press or Amazon or wherever you buy your books. And if you're listening to the podcast, uh, which I hope you are because I'm talking to you, uh, please rate, review, subscribe. Let the platform you're listening on know you value the PeaceWorks podcast. Okay, friends, it's been a trip. I uh, appreciate you guys. God bless. Thanks, Chris. Yep.